You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lelada G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. But I just felt like if my child, a middle schooler, can stand up to these kids, you know what? I can do it too. I had to really sit down with myself, think about what is it that I want for myself, my children. And Madison was not it, you know? And then I started really thinking about it. And I was just like, you know what? This community raised me as a child. This community raised me and it is my duty to give back to my community and help raise those and make sure our babies have what they need. We're not talking about black girls. We're not talking about black girl issues. We're out marching in the street, but it's about black men issues. It's about black boy issues. And so if we don't even tell our story, it's hard to expect anyone else to. So sometimes I think our young girls shrink in class. They just don't, you know, they don't raise their hand because they're scared the way they talk is going to be laughed at or addressed. You know, we're judged by everything. You know how we look. You know, so it's it's hard, um, especially again if you're the minority and nobody understands your culture. We need to start having the conversation and wrapping our hands around Black girls because they're falling through the cracks and we're allowing them to fall through the cracks because we're like, they're not that big of an issue yet. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Defending Black Girlhood podcast. I'm really excited about this episode today. The question we're going to be looking at is, can Black girls be successful in school? And I'm very, very, very excited that I have three Black women who are running for school board in Dane County. It's just a very historic situation. And I just think this is the way we need to be moving in this point right now. And so I am joined by Yana Williams, who is running for Verona School Board, Maya Pearson, who is running for Madison Metropolitan School District School Board, and Lorreen Gage, who is running for Monona Grove School Board. And so, Yana, we're going to start with you. Tell us um, what you do outside of school boarding. 
Yeah, so outside of school board, I am the programming coordinator for the Office of Youth Reengagement uh, in, in, in MMSD. Um, I have been there just as long as I've been on school board. I started there in August um, of 2020, and I sit in the office that oversees alternative programs for the district. Um, we also oversee instruction in all of our metro sites, so jail, detention, shelter, as well as um, alternative programs such as um, night school and Operation Fresh Start and those kinds of programs that partner uh, with the school district. So I do that outside of school board. And then I also run a mentoring program for Black girls in Dane County called Dear Diary. I'm excited for all the stuff that we're going to talk about because that's exactly what I do already. <laughs> More about Dear Diary. Yeah, so Dear Diary is a mentoring organization for Black girls. Um, we run several different programs across the county. Um, so we have an individual program that works with girls and their families um, transitioning out of any type of justice involvement. So girls who have either been uh, in detention or in jail, or girls who have had some type of run-in with law enforcement are referred to our program. Uh, we have an after-school program that we work with girls doing anything from like social emotional stuff to just like a place to hang out and do nothing sometimes, because sometimes they just don't want to do nothing but hang out. Um, and so we allow them the space to do that. And so a bunch of different things that kind of run through our program, everything from family programming to life coaching with some of our girls or career planning, academic assistance, uh, sisterhood and meeting new friends, uh, you know, and really trying to not have that tension between black girls that we often see. And it's it's a girl thing in general. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they have glamorized black girls fighting each other and yelling and screaming. And so uh, we really try to bring them together in a space that is neutral and allows them to get to know each other on different levels and kind of preventing some of that stuff within the schools. But we can talk about that later. Uh, no, that sounds great. Uh, Lorene, um, tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, so outside of the school board, um, I'm the client services director at Housing Initiatives. Um, so basically, I help individuals that were formerly homeless um, that also have persistent um, and severe mental illnesses to kind of get back on their feet and regain independence. Um, so many of our clients suffer through some substance abuse. And so I manage a department that kind of helps them with treatment and day to day living with um, just just learning how to be independent after being homeless for so long. So. Um, wow. Great stuff. Thank yes. you. So in addition to that, um, I chair um, what's called the core committee, which is part of the homeless consortium. So it's we work on coming up with initiatives to support the homeless community. Um, and then also um, I belong to the North Side uh, resource um, team. And basically we work together on the North Side to come up with solutions to help people that are suffering in poverty or homelessness, and then also with criminal issues as well. So um, just very active in um, both my community, um, which is Cottage Grove, and then also on the north side of Madison as well. Wow, that's great stuff. Thank you. And Maya, how about yourself? Hi, I'm Maya, um, and I... And 
so I'm running for school board, so I don't currently sit on the board. Um, but outside of the election time, uh, I am the Wisconsin Director of Organizing for RISE, which is a nonprofit student-led um, organization um, fighting for and organizing for desegregated four-year and um, two-year um, college. And so our focus is really making sure that college is affordable. And by doing that is um, having college free um, for our students. Um, we also fight for um, we also fight for um, tuition forgiveness. And so right now we're in our transition of really pushing forward and um, making sure that we hold our elected officials accountable um, and making um, college free and um, affordable as one of the main focuses as building economic um, recovery um, after COVID. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I do as my nine to five job. Um, in my community capacity, I started and co-founded a group called South Madison Unite, um, which really focused with different neighbors from different neighborhoods on the South side of Madison, um, making sure that, you know, we have the things that we need in our community. Um, and it really grew out of making sure that South Madison did not become a food desert. Um, and I don't know if you guys know, just a year or so ago when the grocery store was looking to be planned to be demolished and having the new um, clinic be rebuilt in its in its um, space. So um, we fought against that and we're working with the developer um, who is now developing the new site um, where Luna's actually, the new Luna's the house. So, so that's really dope. Um, and then also too, I am on the police civilian oversight, um, committee or board, uh, for the city of Madison. Um, and I'm on the executive committee for that. So that does take a, another part of my time. Um, and I guess, Highlight another one, the, the MLK. So I'm also a commissioner for the MLK Awards. And um, you actually, Ms. Laleda, won one of those awards. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, that is a, a huge, huge honor. Um, really, really excited. And I just saw an article that came out about that. And there's three Black women who are being um, honored with that, you know, and I just, I just love it. Because as you all have demonstrated with your introductions, we are always at the forefront of everything that needs to be done in our communities. And, you know, just listening to what you all do for work and then outside of work realm, it just rings so true with what the, um, the burden and the passion that we carry as Black women around making our community, you know, livable and, and making our, our, our youth and our families, you know, well in our community. So I thank you all um, for the work that you're doing outside of even um, looking at the school board. All right. So we're going to jump into the conversation. And, and here's a question I love to ask um, as many Black women as I can is, what is one word you would use to describe your Black girlhood? And Yana, I'll start with you. What's one word you would use to describe your Black girlhood? Huh. 
Of course, I had to go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, oh, my goodness, there are like so many words that came to mind. I guess one of the big ones for me would be. Like when I think about myself as a black woman, I just think of like empowerment and, you know, I, I just feel like like you mentioned, like we're always front and center when things are happening. And so like as a black woman, I feel like empowered. I feel like a boss. I feel like when I step into a room, like I'm here to get things done, you know, and so I, I carry that with me all the time. You know, even with like hanging out with my friends, right? Like if I'm, if we're going to go out and hang out, we're going to do it. Like we're really going to go out and have a good time. And so I think one of the things that, one of the words I would say would be empowering as I sift through my network of words that I wanted to pick. So um, now, is that I, how you I, feel as a girl? As a girl, it depends on what age as a girl. I moved from Chicago to Arizona um, around age 12 or so. Okay. And in Chicago, I would have said, yes, I did feel that way. When I moved to Arizona, I would say absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, as a girl in Arizona, where the population is still minority for the most part, but um, it's Latinx, more than white, it it felt like this. I went from Chicago, where we're very segregated. I don't know how many how much you know about Chicago, but it's very segregated. And I wasn't around anyone who wasn't black unless I went to their communities, right? Mm-hmm. To moving to Arizona, where my history class was Mexico history, mm-hmm. um, that was a shift for me, right? Um, my first teacher in Arizona didn't speak English well. That was a shift for me. Um, and so then I, I felt, I would say I felt lost would have been the word for me then because it was like, okay, where do I fit? Where do I, even thinking about when my parents started to make friends, my dad was the only one with a black wife and black children. Everyone else had mixed children. Mm-hmm. I had never met mixed children. Like mm-hmm. it was just something I didn't see in Chicago. And so it was like, okay, I don't fit in at school. I don't fit in on the weekends when I'm hanging out with my dad's friends. So where do I fit in? And and going back to Chicago over the summers and things like that, definitely I felt better. Like, okay, back in my environment, back yeah. where people look like me and 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 those things. But I would say that was a huge shift for me culturally with being the only one, mm-hmm. but being like a minority within minority. Right. Thank that's, you. That's a weird shift. That's like a different shift than like being the black girl with the white girls, being right. the black girl with the other brown and black people, but they don't speak English. <laughs> yes. It's a different shift. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Lorraine, how about you? What would be one word you would describe your black girl? Advocacy. Um, now, again, when you were a girl. As a girl, I would say advocacy. Okay, girl. But see, and I can say this respectfully, I'm a different gen- come from a different generation. So my um, parents came from the South, and they kind of had that not seen, not heard type thing where I couldn't really speak out about issues. And the reason why they were that way, it was because their parents were during the civil rights era, 
right? And so they kind of had those same values. But I was always the person that kind of was the rebel, right? I would speak out. I would get in trouble for it, but I would speak out. So I would say that advocacy at a young age, I always did that. Um, But again, it wasn't looked favorable um, upon my teachers or by my parents. They thought like, just keep quiet, just do what they're telling you to do. And I couldn't do that. Um, And so I think I've grown into that. And I have three daughters and I teach them the same thing about advocacy. So definitely I would say advocacy is something that I started at a young age. So and did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. same thing like Yana, very segregated, right? Community. Um, but my, again, just because of their era, uh, my parents believed to, to put me in schools that were predominantly white because they thought those schools were better. Um, and mm-hmm. that's really pushed me into advocacy, right? Because I was the only one in the classroom. And so I had to mm-hmm. speak up about those issues when there was the, the topic of slavery or, you know, any other black issues. I had to be that person to speak up. Um, it was, mm-hmm. I guess I, I was forced to. I mean, it, either I had to deal with that and feel depressed or I had to show other people that I was proud of who I was. Um, so that's yeah. what I chose to do. But um yeah, sometimes we get in trouble for it, but again, mm-hmm. yeah, I was proud to be an advocate for it. Thank you. Maya, how about you? I would say, as everyone was going, I was like, hmm, which word should I use? And I'm like Googling, like, you know, resources <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, I think for me, the first word that came to mind was silence, but then I was just like, well, not really silent. So I thought like, okay, unspoken was kind of what um, I would say I would describe my girlhood. Um, like having the internal voice, but never actually like projecting it. Um, and, you know, I am from Madison, Wisconsin. And, but I was also raised heavily by my grandmother who is from the South. Um, and so I understand what, you know, Lorraine was saying about, you know, just how you're, you're supposed to be quiet, you know, you're not supposed to be loud and things like that. Although my grandma was a big advocate and a big person who definitely did a lot of um, advocacy work in the neighborhood. And so she was always like, you know, not necessarily the loudest person, but she was always going, going, going and advocating for folks. Um, I think for me, it just really came um, like not really fitting in anywhere and then dealing with um, imposter syndrome as I grew older um, in, in the environments that I was in. So I think that unspoken was definitely a word that I would describe my um, girlhood. Thank you all for sharing. So we just heard that Madison School District will remain virtual for third quarter. Um, I don't know if word has come out yet about Verona or Monona Grove. Have you guys heard anything about that yet? I I can speak for Monona Grove. Yes. Um, So our K through two um, are currently um, starting hybrid on January 25th. And then our three through five will be starting um, in February and then we will be meeting tomorrow, actually, to talk about our high school level. So, okay. 
Okay, how about you, Yana? Has uh, Verona made any decisions? Yes, um, and the the decision for Verona, actually, the board, prior to me getting on the board, decided that the decision would be made by admin. So we didn't make the decision as a board. Um, we allowed our administration to make the decision about when we went back. Um, so we will go back for everyone except our high school, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, because I learned Verona info and MMSD info and mix them up often. Um, we have, if I remember correctly, our um, elementary and middle schools will be going back in January. So January 25th, we also will have a hybrid model. Um, and then our uh, high school will be going back February 9th. Okay. Those dates are correct. Okay. Um, I, it's the middle school that I'm a little bit, that I can't remember to come completely, but I'm, 99.9% sure that um, everybody is going back on the 25th of January except high school. And that starts February 9th. Okay. So in general, do you all feel like students of color have been more impacted by the virtual schools? And if so, which ways do you say? So I'm going to say it depends on the student mm -hmm. because I have some students who are, I have some Black students, and this is in MMSD and in Verona, who are doing really well with virtual school. Mm -hmm. They are like, I don't have the same distractions that I used to have, my friends, I don't have them in the hallways that I'm hanging out with on a regular. And so some students who we saw failing when we were in in-person school are like, doing it right now. Mm -hmm. And then you have other students who are like, when we went virtual, I just... I stopped. I don't, I don't have the, I, I need to be in school. I need somebody to push me all the time. Um, I'm needing that additional support. So, I mean, it really just depends on a student because mm -hmm. we do have some that are doing really good. And then we have some who we haven't talked to since March okay. and we're trying to figure out where they are. Yeah. Yeah. How about Lorene or Maya? What are you are seeing or hearing? In your I, I would agree with Yana. I think, it's, it's just different for each student. So I have three daughters. Two of my daughters are doing really well with it. I actually would prefer this setting over going back to in-person. And then my youngest child is not doing well with it. Um, she's more, um, well, she's only 11. And she likes to play and be with around people. And so I, I can see her mental health being impacted by it. So it's so important for her to get out and do things. So um, I think that's a, a big concern in our district um, among people of color is just one watching mental health and then also the safety issue of it as well. Um, you know, um, so if they do decide to come back, um, you know, contracting COVID and because that could impact not only them, but their families as well. So. Right. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Maya? Anything that you're hearing from Madison School District? Yeah, I think it's very similar to um, what Yana and Lorraine have mentioned. Uh, some students are doing really, really well, actually probably the best that they have ever done. Um, mm -hmm. And then some students are falling through the cracks. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that can happen with any student. And so mm -hmm. um, is it more magnified maybe in our community? Maybe. 
Um, but I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary of what some other students are doing. Mm -hmm. okay. um, it's interesting to me, you know, um, when I'm looking at some students that I know from families who started, like started kindergarten virtually, you know, and, and how it's impacting the older students, how it's impacting high school students. And, um, you know, I think overall, it's been a very interesting um, and unexpected situation, right? I mean, I never would have thought, I mean, Madison schools don't want to close for nothing. So I was shocked that it even happened in Madison that they closed as they did. But, you know, I think, you know, uh, Lorraine, one thing you make me think about is, you know, we, we know that if there's any physicality of anything, any kind of disease, it always is going to hit Black families harder. And I really, really wonder as we are starting to layer children back in the schools, what is going to be the cost outside of the school? You know, when the kids go and they're bringing that home to their grandparents or to their mother who has diabetes or has heart disease. And it's just as a as a higher risk for contracting COVID and for it not going well. You know, I've, I've lost um, a close friend to COVID. And it's the same same kind of thing. You know, all of the diseases that we have, particularly as black women that are stress related, set you up to not faring well in a COVID situation. Yeah, that's something that I actually was going to say, like, um, is that I think culturally, Black folks are extremely different, right? And culturally, Latino folks are very different. Culturally, you know, Asian folks are different. And so like, just all the culture, like the culture of it is important to understand, especially when we're talking about going back. A lot of people of color are with their grandparents a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's something that my babies have were always really, really afraid of was, you know, what if my Gigi get COVID and die, you know? And so, mm -hmm. like, you know, but we're so used to being with my grandmother all like a lot of the time. Um, and so, no, I, yeah. It definitely is like the culture piece that I don't know if people understand and, and how that really affects going back for Black folks, especially if we're the, the highest ones with COVID and some of the, in Wisconsin at least. You know, honest to God, I think sometimes they understand what's missing is the care. You know, what's missing is that and the concern. I mean, and, and I would say, too, even just thinking about some of the conversations that I've had with board members and some of the admin in Verona, I don't know if they really understand. And and even some of the parents. And so the, the article that um, Gloria Ladson-Billens wrote was like, yes, that is it. That is what they needed to hear, because I hear so often um, I've, I get calls from parents and they're like, what about the black kids? What about the brown kids? They're really struggling right now. They are having the hardest time. That's why we need to go back to school. And I'm like, black and brown kids were struggling in school too. Like, let's not forget <laughs> that they were struggling in school too. Right. So even when, when Gloria wrote that article and I was reading it and I'm like, 
Yes. Don't use them as an excuse now. And you weren't worried and concerned about them before, because for a lot of them, they're doing a lot better now than they were doing Mm -hmm. when they were in school. So although this new normal doesn't work for you and your kids, for a Mm -hmm. lot of black families and black children, it is working. Mm -hmm. It's working and it's working really well. And so, um, you know, I, I really do think that our issues are they're aware and, and, and the care thing is one thing, um, but it's like, does it doesn't really matter or they don't need to be aware until it impacts them. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you want to be aware of like, what's the black problem? Because if we throw the black problem in their face or we throw the brown problem in their face, then now maybe it'll shift in the way that I want it to shift. Right. Um, and that's that's something when she I'm telling you, when she wrote that article, I was sharing it with everybody. <laughs> this is the one that they need to read because I get those calls all the time and they're like, and the poor black children. I'm like, stop. Stop, stop. right there. Stop. <laughs> Please don't cry to me about black children. And Please I feel don't. so sorry for Tyrone and Shamika. But you don't because <laughs> you are. You weren't calling us before this happened. Right. Oh, they were calling, but they were trying to get Termo and Shamika out to school. I want to go back to the safety issue, though, the COVID. So, um, one, I want to not to be somber, but I lost my dad two months ago to COVID. I'm so sorry. Um, So it definitely impacts me and something I think about. But we on our board had the decision of bringing our students back in November. And then it was in December. Two dates, right? That if you, Mm -hmm. people go home, they go on vacations and then, right, they can bring it back and bring it to teachers. You know, I I had all these reasons why we should not open. And it's like, no one thought Mm -hmm. about the teachers or like we talked about the families that are impacted by this and just thought, okay, my own needs, let's put our kids back into school. And so, I think that, again, that's why we need to be here on these boards. Um. (laughs) Absolutely. And and you give me a pivot to go to the next question is, you know, um, what was it that made you all feel like this was your time to bring your black woman perspective to your respective school districts? Like um, in this season, in this time, why did you feel you know, particularly for for Yana and Loreen, um, why did you all say yes when you were approached with the opportunity? And and Maya, as you're running in this season, what made you think, yes, now is the time. This is my season. So I'll go. Um, so mine is actually a story of, of why I decided. So again, I mentioned that I lived in Milwaukee, moved to um, Cottage Grove, took a position in Madison. So um uh, six months um, into being here, I decided uh, there was, again, a person that passed away and they had um, an opening on the school board for an appointment. So I applied. But the reason why this was even something that was on the table is because in my previous school district that my children went to, there was an incident. There was turmoil, racial is- incident that happened. So um, my middle daughter um, was in middle school and she was walking down the hall and someone that she knew, a friend, called her the N-word. And all her peers were around and no one did anything. So she was mm. 
Like maybe I didn't hear the word right. Maybe he said something else. Right. So she said, excuse me, what did you say? So this time he says it again louder and people are laughing at her. And this, she's a, it was a school that was predominantly white. Um, and so she mm-hmm. just didn't know where to go. So she went to a teacher right. and they trusted her. They knew her personality. They knew that she wouldn't make this up. They brought the student in. The student was like, yes, I said it. So what? A lot of people say the N word. What's the big deal? Um, luckily they did take this seriously. They suspended the student, but my daughter kind of, you know, thought about it and said, you know what, mom, I don't even want him to be suspended. I want to address him. I want to tell him how this word felt, because what is he doing at home? Playing video games? Is Mm -hmm. that like a lesson? So Mm -hmm. I said, well, you should talk to the administration. I'm a single mom. I had to work, you know, full-time jobs. I couldn't do a whole lot, but support her at home. She mm-hmm. went back to administration and said, hey, can you take him out and can we have a meeting and I can face him and tell him what this word meant? They let him come out of a suspension and they held a meeting. I wasn't allowed to be a part of it, but she was able to. Yeah, I guess mm. they said FERPA laws that I couldn't attend. So whatever. So she was able to face him um, and. Um, tell him exactly how she felt and what, what the meaning of the word was. And she said the student, you know, started crying, which was a big deal for him because he was a bully and kind of, you know, tough. Mm-hmm. And so I think it hit him. It hit him really hard. Um, wow. And so after this meeting, this student and her, um, they became somewhat friends, I think, but he started to advocate for her. Anyone said anything, he stood up, but it took a while. It was wow. a process. But I just mm-hmm. felt like if my child, a middle schooler, can stand up to these kids, you know what? Mm-hmm. I can do it too. And then also, um, I wanted to be, one, I decided I was going to change jobs because I wanted to be in a position that I could help my children when they have issues like this. And then wherever I go, I'm going to be able to advocate. So when I saw this opening, I was like, this is my shot. And actually, she's the one who said, you should do this, mom. This is you. So that's why I did that's it. Fantastic. 16 people applied. So again, I'm the only black woman on there, <laughs> only candidate. And I'm new to the district. Nobody knows me. And um, I got the opportunity um, out of the 16 candidates. And so now I'm just can't stop me now. So <laughs> that's fantastic. And you also made yes. history. First correct? black woman. Yes. That is fantastic. Good for you. How about you, Yana? What made you say, yeah, I think I'm going to do this? So um, I actually was driving down Fish Hatchery, and I don't know where I was going, but I was driving down Fish Hatchery, and I got a call from one of my sorority sisters, Frances Huntley Cooper. And she gets on the phone, and she's like, Soriana, do you want to go into politics? I'm like, (laughs) What? Like, Where'd that's that come such from? A random question, right? And she's like, before you say no, let me tell you what it is. Um, and she mentioned that the opportunity was opening in Verona. She's like, I knew that you lived in Verona um, and you do a lot of things in education. And so I think it would be a great opportunity for you. Um, I had talked to Mrs. Biddle about it and, and got a little bit more information. And I have friends in the district. My partner works in the district. So I was like, okay. This is possible. Um, I was interested in running for school board in Madison, but then I moved out of Madison. So I haven't lived in Madison since 2017. Um, And so I was like, well, I guess that opportunity is gone because I don't live in Madison. 
Um, and so it was like, okay, I could do this seeing as I live in Verona, you know, that just makes sense. I know a lot of people who work at Verona. Um, I also work with girls on the West side of Madison who are in that weird split between like half of them go to Middleton, half of them go to Verona and the other Mm. half go to Madison. And Mm -hmm. so it's this, it's, and it's like, they all live across the street from each other. It's crazy. Um, And so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who I always say like, I want to be in the room where it happens. Right. Like I'm, Mm. I, I don't want to be, I'm, I'm not a big, like, rah-rah kind of person. I'm not a protester. I'm not a, I'm like, all right, let's sit in a room and let's make a policy together. Like this is just kind of who I am. Um, And so I'm like, if I really want to make change, this is how I do it. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, maybe not a kid, but in my later teen years and into college, I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to be a superintendent because I don't like the way they run schools and I need to be able to run the schools. Well, I later learned that superintendents don't run the schools. School boards run the schools. That's so I'm right. like, all right, I got to be on the school board. So there you go. Um, when this actually happened, although I didn't remember that um, when I applied, I had told my parents about it. And my mom was like, do you remember about 10 years ago when you mentioned that you wanted to be on the school board because the superintendent doesn't run things, the school board does? And I'm like, oh, I did say that. Um you know, and so I, I kind of just feel like it. It, always, it was destined to happen at some point. I just didn't know when or where, um, you know, and as I think about like getting older, I am looking into buying a house. I'm wanting to buy a house in the Verona area. So I'm like, this is going to be the school district my kids will go to. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my kids to deal with some of the things that I'm watching kids deal with right now. And the only way to start implementing some of that stuff is to be in the position to be able to implement some of those things and to make those changes. Um, And so I applied. There were 10 others. Well, maybe there were 10 of us all together who applied, um, went through a grueling interview process publicly. And it was just like you got six minutes to talk about yourself and tell us why people should or why we should have you on the school board. And then you get a second round and you get two minutes and it was, it was a lot. Um, but I, I'm grateful for the position. Uh, it was a few other, I believe there was a black woman and then there was also a black man um, who were uh, vying for the, the spot as well. And as we got a little bit closer, um, it was me and the black man and then a white man and a white woman. And so I was just praying that one of us got it. Like mm-hmm. I need one of the black people to get this spot. Like I, and I didn't care which one I just wanted yeah. one of us to have it because I needed somebody to advocate for our kids, especially now. Like Absolutely. now we have an opportunity to change what's normal. Yes. Like we have the opportunity to do it. And I need us to have a voice in that room. Yes. So I, I'm grateful for the position. It's it's a lot crazier than I thought it was going to be, especially right yeah. now. Because yeah. school board is cracking right now. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm grateful to be in the position that I'm that I'm in, and to be able to, you know, I I just hired our superintendent. You know, like that was that was amazing, and that was a very important decision after having the same superintendent for 15 years. Um, right. You know, to hire a new superintendent was a big deal, and that, yeah. that was my first order of business as a as a school board member. And that's a big and y'all did that thing too. We did because I we know did. your 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 final four. You had some really great candidates, mm-hmm. and so um, I'm very excited about the move that you all made. And that Hamilton reference was not lost on me. 
<laughs> Very Maya, good. <laughs> Maya, how about you? What made you decide to run? Um, so yeah, actually I applied for um the school board seat back in the summer of 2019 when Mary Burke decided to step down. Um, and there was that vacant spot. And I believe there was like 29, 30 people who um, applied for that position. And that's the position that Savion had um, was appointed to. Um, and, you know, I decided to run for that or try to apply for that because um, as a parent, I was just going through so many things with my children at their schools. And, you know, and that's from trying to place my children on IEPs, like, you know, although they were some of the smartest kids in the entire school, um, you know, and a situation then happened with my son, uh, which, you know, I can't really like discuss right now, but um, there was a situation that happened that really pushed me um, to seriously consider, um, putting in my hat for that seat. Um, and so as a parent, I was just like, I have to do this. Not only did I have to do this for my babies, but it was something that I was seeing all other kids go through, especially black kids. Um, at the time, like before then I was working for the boys and girls club, and so, you know, we, you know, at the time I was a, a youth leader. And so I was, you know, working with the schools and the teachers and the children and, you know, kind of being an after school liaison person and, and doing that. And so I was just like, this is something that needs to happen. Um, also, too, I am a third generation Madisonian. So um, my mom went through Madison schools as well. And a lot of the things that my grandma had to deal with, that my mom had to deal with, with when I was growing up, I was still dealing with mm -hmm. at that moment. And I was just like, you should not have three generations of parents dealing with the same things in the same district. Like, that's just preposterous. Um, and so I was just like, I got to do it. You know, I got to do it. Um, I did not win that, but that was fine. Um, so when December came and the person decided for seat six not to run for office, um, people were like, you got to do it. Just do it. Like, we need like we need your voice on there, not just, you know, as a um, parent, but as a black parent, as a single black parent, because I'm a single mother. Mm -hmm. um, and you have so many valuable um, things to offer. At the time, I was just like, I don't know if I really want to do this now <laughs> because it's like, if it, it, you work so hard for something, you have imposter mm -hmm. syndrome, you work so hard for something, you finally get yourself out of that, mm -hmm. that, you know, going around in your head. Um, and you're just like, I'm going to do it. And then you don't like win or it just is not the most positive experience. You're just like, I'm, I, I'm not about to do this no more. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm out, you know. And right. I, I think I'm out. Like, we deal with that a lot. Um, and so I I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, the election happens and I won my primary. And I was like, yes, it's go time. It's go time. Um, and then COVID hit. And that's when everything was just like, nope. And I think, you know, I ended up losing that election, but not by a lot. So it wasn't 
like, you know, I lost by, you know, like mm-hmm. 10,000 votes or something. It was only about 2,000 votes. But for me, I could not, first of all, I ran a grassroots campaign. I could not ethic, ethically tell folks to go vote, especially if Black folks were there at the time. We're like some of the heaviest um, group of people who had um, COVID. And I was just like, it's, I just, I can't, it's not in my right mind to tell people to go vote. Like, mm-hmm. just do what you need to do for your safety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm not like, you know, bitter about any of that, but mm-hmm. it did definitely give me an insight of what Madison as a whole really cares about, right? Um, and that was a time where we were about to get a new superintendent. Mm-hmm. We we're looking for the superintendent. COVID hit. So there were all these things that happened. Um, so fast mm-hmm. forward to now. Now I'm running for again, right? So it was like three times trying, three times, there's the char- mm-hmm. uh, three times the charm. So this time when Gloria Reyes, who's the president of the, the school board currently in Madison, decided not to seek re-election. My phone was blowing up. Like everyone was like, Maya, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. I was just like, yo, I'm trying to get out of Wisconsin. Like after the election, I, I had to really mm-hmm. sit down with myself, think about what is it that I want for myself, my children. And Madison was not it. Madison was not it. And so people are like, no, mm-hmm. we need you, though. We need your voice. You have to do it. And, you know, and then I started really thinking about it. And I was just like, you know what? This community raised me as a child. This community raised me. And it is mm-hmm. my duty to give back to my community and help raise those and make sure our babies have what they need. So I'm just like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm in there and... Yes, um, I think. I mean, I don't really want to say this, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. I think that the way in which we ran our campaign last campaign cycle, which was only like nine months ago, really tells right now mm-hmm. that people are just like, no, we need you. And no one decided to run against mm-hmm. me. And I think, you know, yes, I'm unopposed, but it's not for me. I think it's just the way in which. We ran the campaign last time in the fact that people really do truly believe that I will do a great job. And they feel that, you know, my voice is needed on there. Um, And so I'm thankful to the community for that, you know, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to Mm -hmm. um, go out there. And, you know, right now, I just feel like instead of focusing so heavily on campaigning, I can definitely focus on the things that. I would like to focus on when I get on the board. So really more effort and more time to really kind of formulate mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. That's so fantastic. And I'm so proud of you. You know that um, because it, it could have been easy for you to walk away. And I know this summer we had some conversations about that. And, and really I felt heartbroken when you didn't win. And it's because as black women, particularly single single mothers, we always get the charge. We need Black parents to care more. We need Black parents to get more involved. We need Black parents to show up. And then when we show up, but when we show up not walking on the back of some shoes and chewing and popping gum, when we show up intelligent, when we show up empowered, when we show up with the goods, they don't want that Black woman. 
you know. And so, you know, um, I'm just so thankful for your perseverance to the third time and you're going to get in there and you're going to kick butt. I know you are. And I'm just really happy about that. Um, and, and, and to that end, for those of you who are currently in office, um, Yana and Laureen, what fruit have you seen so far that you all have been able to add to your boards, bringing your different perspective as Black women? Laureen, would you start with that? Sure. I think um, equity has been the biggest thing um, that I've brought. I think I bring that lens, one, from the parent lens, and then also from an equity standpoint. Um, so on the board, um, I serve on the Teaching, Learning, and Equity Committee. And so we created a, a new um, stance on how we address equity. Um, and mm -hmm. um, so just deal with a lot of issues with equity, I would say. Um, so that is probably my strongest suit. Um, and then also because I'm a former special education teacher, really pushing for special education services for our students and then also mental health as well. So I think those are the three areas that I'm just really pushing. And um, I, I think we need more services and, and more support for our people of color. Absolutely. Thank you. How about you, Yana? Um, I would say... On, on our board, um, and I'm like, Maya, like, should I say this or should I not? But I'm going to. It is what it is. We have a very split board and a very split person, um, not person, uh, parent group and, like, community. So mm -hmm. Verona is, like, very, it's like, you have your radicals on this side and your radicals on this side. And some people who are kind of in the middle, but they don't really say too much. Mm -hmm. So you're really like pulling back and forth. And you see that on our board too. Like our board is an excellent representation of the community. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that, one of the things that I bring to the board, I would say balance. Mm -hmm. I get it a lot that like, you're never on one side or the other. Like I, I'm not loyal to either side, right? I'm mm -hmm. loyal to what's in the best interest of our students. Yes. And sometimes that means that I don't agree with the group that I probably should agree with, right? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like our board is very, like you have some people who are kind of liberal on our board, some people who are like super Democrats and some people who are super Republicans and, mm -hmm. and, and not that they're really like, I don't know, they're real political affiliation, but just for context kind of how it is. And mm -hmm. so, especially right now, everybody's like pulling and tugging on each other in a weird way. And so it's like, which team are you going to be on? Mm -hmm. And I'm just on the team that makes the most sense for the, the best education for our students. So coming on the board, I think that their, their hope and their goal for me was bring the equity lens. And I do that. I do bring the equity lens. But beyond bringing the equity lens, I bring balance. This doesn't make sense because, right? And, and it's a lot of that. Um, like, I don't really care who's friends with me on the board. Because mm -hmm. I'm at work. This okay. is not like some people that I'm going to hang out with when we leave these meetings. And that's just right. the reality of it. Like, I'm at work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my job as a board member is to make sure that we are upholding the values of this school district, which is yes. that every student must succeed. Right. And so if it doesn't 
if we're doing something or we're putting something in place that doesn't ensure that every student succeeds, then I'm not on the side of that. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't really care who wants me to be loyal and where you want me to be loyal at. Um, and so I bring a lot of that to our board. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that some of the people who were hesitant about me being on the board, even some of the board members um, were like, well, you don't have kids or, um, you know, you don't have a education background, which I don't. I have animal science and dairy science degrees. I don't have an education background, but I know my stuff, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like outside of the degrees that I have, I read books, I read research. I, I'm always on the in the know about what's going on because that's what I'm passionate about. And so I don't have to have a degree in order to know my stuff. And, and now right. that I'm in the seat that I'm in, many of the board members that I do talk to um, are like, you know your stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you, you definitely know what you're talking about. The lens that you bring us is very important. Um, you know, when looking at at the people that we had, even for our superintendent position, right? One of the things that I wanted to bring to the attention of our board, even before we looked at our applicants is many Black people did not have the access of having 15 years of superintendent um, experience. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Right. If we can find a Black superintendent who's been one for 20 years, like they need to tell us the secret. It's just not right. something that we're going to see. Um, and so when we're when we're putting them up against a white candidate who has had that experience, are we being equitable? Mm-hmm. So I do still have to bring that lens. However, um, I, I think that the balance is most important on our board because we just have it's so clicky and I know that's everywhere, but it's like very clicky, um, you know, and it's very like you're either on one side or the other. There's no in the middle. And then we got to figure out how we both get in the middle. It's like, you know, pick a side. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but I don't agree with either side. So why do I have to pick a side? <laughs> why can't you put your side and your side together and we make a side that makes sense? Yes. Um, and, and that's my position. No, I love it. I love it. So Let's talk a little bit more about Black girls. So a while back, I had a conversation online with a number of Black women, and I asked them what was one word they would use to describe their Black girl experience in school. Some of the words that they used were invisible, limited, ignored, misunderstood, um, just plain rough. This out of, I think, 80% of the participants had a negative experience as a girl. And these were Black women from Madison, from outside of Madison, from two-parent households, from one-parent households, you know, just a plethora of experiences that they had. It was really, really negative. And so I have a couple of questions for you all in this vein, because y'all know I'm all about defending Black girls. So, you know, here we go. Um, so Yana, you made a reference earlier to, um, the Verona mantra is what I call it, or mission. Every student must be successful. So my question for you is how do you feel black girls are faring in Verona in reference to your district's mission and how might your work on the school board assist with that being more equitably applied to black girls experience and performance? in Verona School District? Love that question. Love, love, love it. Um, And I don't know 
I don't have like their grades and whatnot in my face, but I, I work with a lot of those girls even outside in the community. And I would say many of them are lost. Many of the Black girls who are students in Verona don't live in Verona. They live in Fitchburg, so they are disconnected. Mm -hmm. um, or they live in Madison or outside of Verona. And so they are the other kids, right? And even, even as a school district, that's something that we talk about often is how do we make the students who don't live in Verona feel like they are um, a, a priority to us in Verona? And we don't do a good job with that right now. And mm -hmm. most of those kids are Black and brown children, predominantly Black children. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and so I, I think that we aren't doing a great job. We aren't. We just aren't. Um, they often don't have representation in schools. We don't have black teachers. We don't have I mean, luckily in Verona, especially at the high school, we do have black counselors. Um, but that's rare. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, God forbid we lose one or two of them. somewhere. Right. We gonna and that's that. new. So that's new, it too. Is, it is new. Um, and, you know, we 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 going to be messed up. Um, but I think about like we we just don't disconnected. Like I would say they're disconnected. They are trying to not only find their place within their communities, but their place within the schools. Um, many other like I mentioned with like girl trauma and those kinds of things, we're seeing a lot of that. Um, it, it's very similar to what we're seeing with a lot of other students. Um, in other school districts, you know, it's just one of those things where Verona is a great school district, right? And I'm not saying that any of the others aren't, but Verona is a really good school district. And we know that it's a good school district. Unfortunately, it's doing just as poorly with for Black children as any other school district. Mm -hmm. So our white children are doing really well and exceptionally well, especially as they compete with other students across Dane County. But our black children are doing just as poorly as they're doing everywhere else. And that's mm -hmm. problematic. Right. It's that's a problematic thing. And, and our black girls are, I would say, many times black girls, we have a little more motivation than black boys. And so you are seeing some who are doing well. Right. Like you have some black girls that are like, I am going to overcome my situation and I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get good grades and, and different things like that. And so you're seeing a little bit better grades and performance than you may see with some of your black boys, but I would still say they are absolutely disconnected. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Lorene, for you, the same question and the mission for Monona Grove is promoting excellence for global opportunities. How are you seeing that played out with Black girls in the Monona, Monona Grove School District? Sure. So similar to Yana, I think... Um, there are some disparities. So uh, one, the achievement gap, our students of color are behind. Um, I, I can't tell you if it's boys versus girls, but our black children are further behind than our white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that we're putting in the forefront. Um, there has been some racial issues uh, that we are working through mm -hmm. as a district. Um, and I think since I've been on the board, um, and not only me, but we have a parent equity group that is really putting awareness out there. So this summer we had a Black Lives Matter march. I was the key speaker for it. Um, and we had a huge um, uh, turnout for it. It was raining that day, but people came out. And I think 
Um, what I do like about our district is that they're listening to us. So I think we're starting that mm -hmm. conversation. Are we there? Absolutely not. But we're starting it. Mm -hmm. And our Black Student Union, um, both in our middle school and our high school, are very vocal. And I think that's we just need them to advocate and, and share what they're going through so we can start to work through these issues. But um, Yana had mentioned about, I think, having teachers of color and uh, administrators of color. We need that. Uh, right now, we have mm -hmm. one principal, Danielle, um, right? And um, she's phenomenal. And I was a part of that interview process, too. Um, and She's the yes, right one to have out there. Yes, she is. She is. Uh, she is. If you have one, she's the one to have. <laughs> yes. So we need more Danielle's, you know, in yes. our, our district. And, and, you know, and I think also, uh, you know, we're pushing curriculum, having curriculum that, right, represents us. Mm -hmm. um, not just yeah. the slavery part, right? We, the, <laughs> the beautiful side of things that we are, you know, what we contribute um, and, and having things in our school that look like us, you know, posters that yes. reflect people of color. Um, so yes. I think that is just we're, again, starting that process and, and bringing awareness. And so we're just going to keep pushing that. I love it. And then, Yana, for you, I mean, um, Maya, for you, same question. And for Madison is two things, I'll say is our vision is that every school be a thriving school that prepares every student to graduate ready for college, career, and community. And also in Madison School District, there's also an, another kind of mantra about Black excellence. Uh, with your experience, you have two girls in the Madison School District, you've worked with youth. How do you think Madison School District is playing this out for Black girls? I think it's, I think I can just echo what Yana and Lorene said in their districts is similar to what's going on in our districts. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the girls that are going to Verona schools um, are from, a lot of them are from Madison, Pittsburgh, and, you know, and so mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think that we're just, we're not doing well. <laughs> and I think that that is not just a Madison mm -hmm. district issue, not just a Verona district issue, Monona Grove. I think it's just the culture of Wisconsin, right? Um, and when we're talking about our Black girls, I think what I've noticed happens a lot is that we talk about our Black boys overwhelmingly. We talk about them with, you know, like police. Mm -hmm. We talk about them when it's, you know, kids who are getting suspended and all these things. Like I have one son and two daughters, yet the conversation around my son is always an ever going conversation. But with my daughters, it's barely even there. And so, you know, I think for me, growing up in Madison schools as well, it was the same. Like I was thankful to have, you know, like you, Miss Lilita in, in middle school, who was like, you know, y'all black girls, let's do something for black girls. I had Miss uh, Willie Mae Johnson, at Randall and she was there mm -hmm. to, you know, kind of like get some of us black girls to kind of be together and do things in pretty much an all white school. Um, so I think, you know, like we have mm -hmm. over the years done little things here for our black girls, getting some people in there, but I think that we're just not doing a good job. Um, I think that our district does know, um, it, does know about the equity issue and they understand the equity issue. I don't know 
Um, and they're willing to work on that equity issue. Um, but I still don't really feel as though the conversation around Black girls is really part of that conversation. A lot of it centers Black boys. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that we can definitely do better across all our districts um, when it comes to equity, but really bring that voice of Black girlhood to the conversation and remind people that um I believe there was a statistic, I'm not exactly sure, and I'm paraphrasing, and it probably isn't exact, but there are more Black girls who are up, I believe, for like suspension or something like that. There are Black boys in our district. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you think about that, but the like you, you don't hear that, you know, you don't hear that information. Um, and so right. definitely, I think that we can do better and we need to do better. Um, yeah. If I can just piggyback on that, I think yeah. about that as it relates to the work that we do with Dear Diary. Um, you know, I, I write a lot of grants. I'm the grant writer for for our program and, and I run the program, but I write a lot of grants and we don't have a lot of competition. And sounds like a great thing, right? But it's not because what, what that means is we're the only one, and I know that we're not, but we're the only one vying for money for Black girls. And we don't have the capacity to serve every Black girl in Dane County, right? Like I want some competition. I want some other people who are doing this work. And not because I'm like, let's fight for money, but it's like, let's work together because I can't do everything. I can't serve all of these girls. And and even beyond that, we work with girls transitioning um, out of some kind of justice involvement, right? And our numbers are continuously going up Mm -hmm. and nobody's talking about it. Right. It's like these boys are doing this and these boys are doing that. And and oftentimes, don't get me wrong, our girls are a little slick. They don't get caught. Right. But they're doing it right. They're doing mm-hmm. a lot of the things that the boys are doing. They're trying to fit in with the boys. They're trying to look good for these boys, all of those things. But nobody's talking about that. Mm-hmm. And so people are shocked when I'm like, we have a program that focuses on girls who are in detention. And they're like, there are girls in detention. Yes, there are times where I have two or three in detention mm-hmm. at the same time. You know, I think about with Department of Corrections, I have had a contract with them for the last year and a half. I only got one girl. Over the last two months, I've gotten three, right? Wow. Like something's happening. I had mm-hmm. one girl for a year and a half and I've gotten three in a couple months. We need to start having the conversation and wrapping our hands around Black girls because they're falling through the cracks and we're allowing them to fall through the cracks because we're like, they're not that big of an issue yet. Like, but we don't want to get there. You know, we need to have the conversation so that we don't get there. Um, and so when Maya mentioned that, like, yes, mm-hmm. there, are, there are not enough services for Black girls and not kids of color, not Black boys, not girls in general, right? Like, you need a different program for Black girls than you do for yes. other girls. Don't just give them, we work with all girls. Exactly. Right. No, they definitely. And I like that right. to piggyback on to you too, because it, it made me think of something when Ms. Lalate at the beginning of this question gave all the words of what Black girls were feeling. Um, that I feel like that's part of the connection to to the fact that you know that no one's talking about them. We're being unseen. Like we're we're mm-hmm. like think our girls are doing mm-hmm. things and they want to be seen, right? They want that love, they want that connection, mm-hmm. just like any other child, but they're not being seen, you know. And mm-hmm. and 
that like that connection just right. that I was thinking about that I'm like wow like all everything that I was feeling that other girls are feeling that other women are feeling like it definitely in, goes in line with the fact that no one's talking about black girls and um that needs to change yeah. and then especially challenging when you're in an all-white space right yes Yes. And and part of the challenge, you know, and this is definitely a deeper and longer conversation, but part of the challenge is that a lot of times it's black women that are talking, but we're not talking about black girls. We're not talking about black girl issues. We're out marching in the street, but it's about black men issues and about black boy issues. And so if we don't even tell our story, and 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 work out of our understanding because we're the only ones who have once been black girls. If we are not taking up that mantle, it's hard to expect anyone else to, because no one understands like we understand. You know, when I was asking the women about these these words to to describe their experience, there's one woman in her fifties, and she got teary eyed just remembering how difficult it was for her as a black girl in school. And so I think it's so important for, you know, wherever we find ourselves as black women to be that advocate, you know, and Yana, you're talking about, you know, what you're seeing with the girls in the juvenile justice system. Again, a whole nother conversation, but we're not even touching mass incarceration of black children. You know, I went up north, way up north, and I went to Lincoln Hills, and there's nothing but black kids there. And, you know, when I was up there, they had these two cabins that were named. One was named after Coretta Scott King, <gasps> and the other one was named after, oh, I can't believe I can't remember, but another prominent black woman. So this is how you honor black women in Wisconsin. You put their name on cottages up in the juvenile correctional facility. My God, my God. And, you know, looking at Wisconsin, I got some statistics from an article that was written by Lauren Camera um, for U.S. News. And it said in Minnesota, Illinois and Wisconsin, black girls are 8.5 percent more times likely than white girls to be suspended. And this is looking at an average of 5.5% in other places, 5.5 times in other states to be suspended. And it says, um, girls, black girls are being suspended. Black girls are being, you know, kicked out of school. And as they were saying, you know, Lorraine, you were talking about how when you were a girl, you were an advocate. Obviously, you passed that strength on to your daughter. Um, but when when black girls advocate, mm -hmm. because schools are tough on teaching kids to advocate for themselves, mm -hmm. right? Well, we don't want the parents to get involved. We really want the kids to advocate for themselves, blah, 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 blah. Until it's a black girl. They were better. And she's opening yeah. her mouth. What? Right. You know, it doesn't sound like advocacy when a black girl is standing up for herself or standing up for someone else. And so all of these, you know, 
it's interesting to me how everybody loves blackness. They love black culture. You know, um, they want to snap their hands and, you know, do all the black woman stuff. But when when black girls are, are reflecting their black mothers, it's not being well received, particularly in our schools. Yeah, I was I was uh, I don't know if you read the the I guess the research, the paper out of Georgetown, the erasure of black girlhood. Um and and they talk about that, right? Like black girls are not granted childhood innocence. No. And in their in their paper by anyone. Anybody, anybody. And in their paper, they mention like as young as five years old, black girls are looked at as older than their age, knowing more about sex and needing less nurturing. Mm-hmm. So they talk about like a black girl might ask a question in a question in class, and the teacher's like, you know that you just want attention. Mm-hmm. What if she really needs to know the answer? Like, why right. does she have to know that, right? Um, or why do you just assume that she's wanting attention? Or mm-hmm. why would I protect myself from somebody who's looking at me wrong, right? Am I feisty or am I, you know, or am I too loud or am I too aggressive? Um, you know, there's no space for them to advocate for themselves and defend mm-hmm. themselves. Um, and and then we wonder why they end up in the situations that they end right. up in. But it's like, I didn't have any other choice. Like right. this is this was the option that I had. And I went with the option that felt safest to me or, you know, mm-hmm. I was trying to protect myself. Or sometimes they're just looking for attention. I just wanted somebody to see me. I didn't want to be invisible mm-hmm. anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that article really was eye-opening when looking at like how adults view black children um starting at age five right like yeah. you you see a five-year-old and a five-year-old who is you know either advocating for themselves or a five-year-old who's asking you for a que- asking you a question you assume they're seeking attention they're five mm-hmm. everything they do is for attention right <laughs> they're five yeah. right um right. but that's a great one just to I mean, it's, it's great, but not right. But just to see how people are viewing black girls and how that in turn creates the issue that, you know, we're talking about right now. Yeah. And they know too, um, you know, doing groups with third grade girls already, they were talking about how they felt different, how the teachers treated them differently. And it felt like a third grade girl told me one time, she says, I know we're sitting in groups. She said, I know as soon as I walk out of here, I'm going to have to start trying to act white like they want me to be, you know, because um, I can't feel like I can be my be myself. And all the time when my girls would come into group and, you know, I would be usually the only black woman in the school that wasn't pushing a broom. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And so the girls would come in and they, you know, I'm going to be Miss Leda up in there. They'll be like, you need to sit your behind down. And you know what I'm saying? I'm going to be what they're used to, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm the age of their their grandmothers. I'm the age of their mothers. And they're going to receive me. They're their aunties and things like that. Um, but whenever the girls would come and they come to group and then they're leaving group. And so we're on a high now because they've been loved. They've been black mamaed up in this white environment. And this is what I would get constantly. Can you keep them down? We know that they're enjoying group, but they're too loud when they 
two mouths for what? You just, you just don't want no black girl joy. You want them looking, and I've seen it. I've seen the faces of girls where they're walking down the hallway and they're, they're just grimacing. And I'll be like, hey, so-and-so, and their whole face would change. But you could just see them looking like the weight of the world was on their shoulders in these school settings. What I see um, in settings where it's an all-white setting and you're you know, the only Black, it's hard. One, you, you don't know if you should assimilate. And sometimes you can't identify with right the lesson, what the the, the communication mm-hmm. style like. I don't talk like this at home. I don't know what mm-hmm. you're even saying. So sometimes I think our young girls shrink in class. They just don't, you know, they don't raise their hand mm-hmm. because they're scared. The way they talk is going to be laughed at or addressed. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you know they have. Like Maya, beautiful braids, you know, we're judged by everything, you know, how we look, everything. you know, so it's, it's hard, um, especially mm-hmm. again, if you're the minority and nobody understands your culture. So um, mm-hmm. again, I just kind of going back that we just definitely need more uh, people of color mm-hmm. in our schools so that we can have someone to identify with and understand our needs. And, you know, like for me being a single mom, some people don't understand that, you know? So it's just, we right. need a place, a special place that we can, um, you know, talk about our issues and it's just a safe space is really what I'm saying. Right. I loved your wording with like black mama and our girls. I think about an incident that I had when I was doing some group work at Middleton and we had two girls who just were causing a lot of ruckus in the school. And I was like, I want them to have a conversation with each other. And the principal at the time was like, well, if they have a conversation, we need the police to sit in the room with you. My and God. I was like, they're seventh graders. I can handle it. And he was like, well, we've had a lot of incidents. And, and I was like, fine, he can stand outside the door. If I need anything, I'll knock. And we got in the room and I was like, listen, y'all going to get in here and y'all going to act like y'all got some sense. But just in case y'all don't, I wear my gym shoes. (laughs) But they were like, Miss Yana, you know we're not going to go crazy. You know we're not going to do nothing. I know. But just in case, I wear my gym shoes. You know, and and, and we laughed about it. And they had a conversation with each other and realized that they had been arguing and fighting for no reason. And they walked down. They were friends. Right. And the police officer is like, we've been dealing with them for the last three months. And we didn't know what to do and all this stuff. And I'm like, I've been talking to them for 30 minutes. And they walked out of here as friends. What 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 did I do that you weren't doing? You had love for them. Right. And and I set the expectation, right? The expectation mm-hmm. is you do not have to leave this room as friends, but you will leave this room acting like y'all got some sense. Because mm-hmm. I know you got some sense. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is you're arguing about, you need to have a conversation about and move forward. Whether you're friends or not, you need to learn how to have a conversation to address your differences. Okay. And they did, right? Like they Mm -hmm. they had a conversation as seventh graders realized that they were arguing about nothing, which typically is nothing. It's like, oh, I thought you said, well, I thought you said, and it's nothing, you know, Um, but they needed somebody to say, sit down, have a conversation. You don't have to leave here as friends, you know, and however you feel, it's okay to feel that way, but you have to learn how to express yourself in a way that is not fighting each other. And it was like you treated them like people too. I think that's a big 
Right. You know what I'm saying? Like you didn't have all yes. these biased feelings. Oh, well, she's talking like this or she looks like this. So she must come from this household. No, you treated them like people. And that's what, you right. know, I think made a difference in that. Is that right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I didn't need the police to help me treat them like people because what was he going to do? I mean, what, what was he going to do? He was going to arrest them. And when you go into, and that's part of it, if you're afraid of a seventh grade girl, if you're, and, and you know, I have a statistic here that says that black girls make up 20% of girls who are enrolled in preschool, preschool, but 54% of girls suspended from preschool. What's wrong with you and your mama that you suspended Right. Girls and, uh, you know, that brings me to the point of expectation. Yana went in there with an expectation mm-hmm. for them and mm-hmm. knew that they could rise to that expectation. Something that I always tell folks, it's like mm-hmm. our children will rise to the expectation that you give them. If you give them the expectation that they ain't nothing, mm-hmm. that they're not going to learn, that they're this and that, and they're all negative, they're going to rise to that that expectation that you have laid out for them so it's like you know right. if we have better expectations right. for our girls and for our children they will rise to the occasion children are extremely resilient and the fact that you're suspending so many little yes. babies like you know, it, it, it you know it's, it's crazy four-year-olds i dealt with that with my own kids right like i i lit like a like my i'm <laughs> My daughter, my oldest daughter, um, when she was um, nine at her in third grade, like she was always standing up for the other girls who were getting bullied. Right. And I'm always getting these calls. Well, your daughter is doing this. Your daughter is doing this. And I'm just like, get off my line, because what my daughter is doing if she's trying to protect herself and other children, I need you to call those other parents because those other parents ain't got I need to talk to them and they kids need to talk to my daughter because they have no reason to be disrespecting her. So it's like that whole, like you said, standing up and whatnot. And then it's like, you know, when she was a little girl, like five and so, like she would cry and cry and cry and not have that expectation, but she was smart. She needed more than what other children needed in the sense of um, uh, like work. She was bored. She she already knew how to read. Mm-hmm. She already knew mm-hmm. how to write before she even got to kindergarten. So it was just like, you know, you're not giving her the expectation that she's resilient and that she can rise mm-hmm. and that she can do whatever, um, like go to the highest, uh, you know, depths. And so, you know, the, I think that that's really what it comes down to is like, you know, Yana went in there with that expectation. Like, I, this is what I expect of you all. Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to do it. And I got my tennis shoes just in case. <laughs> mm-hmm. just, just in case it don't go down the way I think it should. But right. it, it, but again, it's that feeling of love too. It's the expectation, but it's also when they feel you care about them, they listen yeah. differently. They lean in differently. I was just going to piggyback mm-hmm. off of Maya too about being bored. Many of our children are kinesthetic learners. So they learn by doing things, touching things. Mm -hmm. And in many of our classrooms, the teachers just talk and talk and talk, and we're bored. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. and we can't focus and and listen because it doesn't you know we can't identify so i think we need more of that ability so that we can do things and touch things um, yes to understand more and, and and allowing us to i i had that same issue as a kid where i used to get in trouble all the time for talking and they would call my mom and they're like, your daughter talk too much. All she do is talk, <laughs> talk, talk. And I didn't have that issue until I was in second grade. And that was my first white teacher was in second grade. And that teacher gave me hell. Mm. But she was like, she talks too much. She talks too much. And my mom was like, Yana, why are you talking so much? And I'm like, when I finish my work, I want to talk. <laughs> like, mom, I'm eight. I want to talk. And if my friends aren't done, then they need to hurry up because I want to talk. Because I'm done. You know, and my mom was like, okay, well, can you give her other work that's more difficult for her? And our teacher was like, no, this is the work that she's going to get. And she's either going to do it. And then when she's done with it, she needs to be quiet. So the other students have time to work on what they need to work on. And I was like, well, mom, I'm going to keep talking because because it was like my grades are great. It was like, she's, her grades are great. She answers questions, blah, 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 but she talks too much. And I'm like, mom, I'm bored. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to fix talking too much because when you're eight years old and your work is done and you're ready to talk, you're going to talk. Right. You know, right. and my, my mom was like, well, look, you're either going to give her some harder work. You're going to give her right. a little more or she's going to be talking. <laughs> right. Let Yana be great. Right. She's going to be talking, Um, you know, and 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 again, like it was I think it was to like a cultural difference. Right. This was Mm -hmm. this was this teacher's first time teaching at an all black school and it was different for her. And she couldn't understand what it was that we needed. And the little worksheets you were giving me just weren't working. I mean, I could do them. But then what you want me to do afterwards? Yeah. Well, ladies, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I want to end us with you all taking the time to share why people should vote for you. And I just want to underscore the importance of people understanding that you may be black and have a black experience that you bring. But I think oftentimes black people are very uniquely qualified and and bent towards caring for all students. And so I'm going to start with you, Lorene. Why should people vote for you? Sure. Um, So again, as I mentioned, I have the parent lens and the teaching at um, special education background. So using those skills uh, to continue to advocate for all students. Um, Yes, definitely our students of color definitely need you know, to one, and close that achievement gap, to um, have more teachers that are um, hands-on and understand our culture better. Um, But also, um, again, for special education students, for teachers, um, they need an advocate as well, um, especially now with the reopening. Um, So we need a a person that's um, going to advocate and a strong leader, and I wanna continue my service for now and on for three years as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Yana, why should people vote for you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, everything that we've mentioned in our conversation today, just that the work that I do is not just for our Black children or our Brown children. You know, as Lorene mentioned, 
I do have that equity lens. I have that experience. Um, however, the work that I do is for all of our children. And the work that we do as school board members is for all of our children. And that is priority over anything else that I'm doing. Um, you know, my my role is not to make friends. My role is to do the things that need to be done to best serve our children. And that is what I'm committed to doing. Um, you know, and that comes with a lot, right? Like there are different ways I have to support our teachers, different ways that I have to support our administrators and our parents. And I know that all of those things come with the job. Um, I hear oftentimes that people are reluctant because I don't have children. Um, but I say that that's an opportunity for me to be in a space where I can advocate for all children, right? Because I'm not trying to do what's best for my kids. Right? I'm doing what's best for all kids. And I'm looking at it from a lens of, what is the best next step in order for us to ensure that every child in our school district does succeed? Um, you know, and I'll continue to do that. I will continue to push back. I will continue to ask the hard questions um, that nobody wants to ask, um, you know, and continue to do everything that I can, um, you know, to advocate for our children and our families to better our school district. You know, Verona is already a great school district but we could always do better, um, you know, and by putting the right people in place for us to start making those necessary changes, we can do better. Um, and I feel that, you know, I'm one of those people that's willing to, to do the hard work, you know, and stay up late and have meetings or wake up early and have meetings or whatever it is that we need to do, uh, you know, to move in the direction that we, that we want to move in uh, for the betterment of our school district. Thank you so much. You know, um, I've wanted to leave Wisconsin so many times because it's cold and it's, it's very white and all those things that sometimes doesn't feel like it is for me and sees me. But one of the things I'm really, really glad about staying in Wisconsin, staying in Madison, is the joy that I get to have for seeing young folks that I've worked with grow up and, and, and kind of... Um, take their own piece of leadership and, and commitment to the community. And Maya, you know, you're one of my joys. You know, having seen you grow up and become a mother and become a leader in our community, why is it important? Because you know you got my vote, girl. Why is it important for people to vote for you? So I think that, um, as you said, like growing up in MMSD, like I have that real firsthand, real world experience, not just as a parent currently, but as a student and as um, as a daughter of someone who also um, raised someone in the Madison schools. So I think that that uniquely positions me um, to really understand where we've been to know that where we're going. Um, also, too, I think that I definitely, authentically um, represent the com like our communities that are most impacted by the disparities of educational um, experiences. Um, as and that's not just me as a black girl slash black woman now, but also as an advanced learner, um, as someone who understands that my peers were also advanced learners but not necessarily push to go into different, you know, advanced classes and such. So knowing the depth of all of our children, um, again, rising to the occasion and understanding that. Um, and also too, like for me, 
I definitely take a very common sense approach. Um, as Yana has said, as Lorene has said, we're in this for our children. We want all of our children to be the best people, the best citizens, the best human beings that they can be possible. And education is part of that step for them to be the best. Um, and so for me, I do really truly care about all of our babies and want them to succeed. Um, and so that's why I think that people should vote for me. It's not about, you know, sides here, sides that. It's not about, you know, who has the best um, popularity contests and, and such. It really is truly, how can I have my experiences as a student, as a, as a parent of a person who, a child who has an IEP, as a parent who also has a child who has an IEP and also is an advanced learner and who also is an advanced learner myself. I think that definitely is important. Um, and as we are reimagining how school can be after COVID, especially, um, and, you know, being very intentional about what we put in place and having our children come back in school. Um, so I think that it definitely uniquely positions me for this time though. So both for Maya. Wonderful. Wonderful. And so our primaries are February the 16th. And then because of sleep year, um, the spring election is the same date it was last year, April the 6th. And so you all get out there and vote, vote, vote. I'm so pleased to have this opportunity to talk with you all. So pleased to acknowledge that you all are part of a historic um, cadre of Black women who are running for political office in Dane County. We have over a dozen Black women running for office in the spring election. That has never happened. And what a wonderful class of women to be a part of. Thank you all so much for your service, both in the school boards and in the community. And I wish you well. And Lorene, um, we definitely offer up prayers for you and your family. Thank you. You all take care Thank and you. good luck. Thank you. Y'all have, have a good night. Thanks. That was a good conversation. And look, we mean this thing. We are not playing. We are committed to defending black girls. And look, we want you to get involved. Please visit Lalata.org to explore the work that we are doing to defend black girls to be safe wherever they are. And look, while you're there, please sign up for our mailing list so that you will not miss one single fearless conversation.